our scripture lesson that we are memorizing for this week, the scripture verse from the book of Micah is one that is perhaps appropriate for us as we reflect upon the next person at our table or perhaps maybe more specifically the person who is not at our table. We'll be looking at uh, the enemy who is not at our table today. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? Other translations say love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We hope that you've had the chance to etch that verse into your minds and hearts, and we encourage you to keep remembering all the verses that we invite you to remember as we uh, seek to allow God's word to make a difference in our lives. Some other words that perhaps you have over your lifetime committed to memory, uh, those words from Psalm 23, which is the first of our two lessons today. Hear the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He bestoweth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then these words that come to us from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, in the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he says... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward is that for you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. One of the things I like to do when I have the chance to visit someone in their home is peruse the pictures that they have chosen to display. Most of us have pictures on display in our homes, and they mean something. It means something when you've chosen to feature someone on your mantle or on your side table. It's always interesting to see who appears in people's personal galleries. 
Parenthetically, our family loves to tell the story of the time when my father had heard that his college classmate had moved to town. So one afternoon, while he was out making pastoral calls, he decided to stop by the house of his old friend to welcome him to town. After ringing the doorbell, a young teenage girl opened the door, and my father announced that he was an old college classmate of her father's and had stopped by to say hi. Oh, great, said the young woman. My dad's not home, but I'm sure my mother would love to see you. Go in the living room. I'll go upstairs, tell her that you're here, and she'll be right down. So my father made his way into the living room and while waiting began to peruse the pictures on the mantle. The more he looked at the pictures, however, the longer it took for him to find anyone in the pictures that even remotely looked like his college classmate. <laughs> After about a couple of minutes of this, it dawned on him that the reason he couldn't find any semblance of his old buddy was that he was in the wrong house. <laughs> he had the wrong address. Quickly and quietly, he made for the door and for the car without bringing any more embarrassment upon himself. We always wondered what that family said to the police when they filed the report of that strange man who came into their home. And how long must they have looked for what he had stolen? Pictures are important. The gallery on the mantle is significant, and it's always proved for me a great opportunity to explore with the host a little bit about who's in the picture and who's not, who's posing and who's not, who's around the table and who's not. Lori, in her wonderful sermon of a couple weeks ago, talked about the empty chair we inevitably find at our tables once occupied by someone we loved, but the angel of death has taken them away, and the empty seat speaks to the empty space that we have inside of us for them. But every once in a while, while I'm exploring with a person these important pictures, I will stumble into an awkward moment where I will call attention to the fact that a member of the family who seemed prominent in these early pictures doesn't appear in these later pictures. I don't, I don't see John. I, I, I don't see Susan in these later pictures, I'll say. And then comes this heavy silence and then the words, we haven't spoken for a while. We had a falling out a long time ago. Or we just don't talk about her anymore. And sure enough, I stumbled across another empty chair, a different one, not a chair that death has claimed, but a chair that life has claimed. Because life can be that way sometimes. Circumstances happen, misunderstandings arise, words get said, questions get raised, doubt gets formed, anger gets expressed, and pretty soon there's an empty chair at the table. A live human being who's not here because she's not welcome, not here because he doesn't think he's welcome, not here because it's the last place she'd ever want to be. Estranged is what we often call it, or at odds, or at ba in bad terms. A crack has formed, ice is crystallized, and the crack becomes a gap, a canyon, a continental divide. Empty chair number one, the one whose absence we grieve. Empty chair number two, the one whose presence we decline. I suppose we all have an empty chair, number two, maybe more than just one, maybe a few. 
It's what life does. It has us bumping into each other, and sometimes the bumps become bangs, and feelings get hurt, and defenses get up, and resentments take root, and pretty soon there are empty chairs at our table, except that usually we're pretty quick to take the empty chair, number two, and place it out of our view, out of sight, out of mind. Good to remember those whom death has taken, but good to forget those whom life has taken. No sense remembering somebody we're trying to forget. Let's remove that chair from the table and put it as far away as possible. Shove it in the closet somewhere so I don't have to be reminded. It's what we do with the enemy chair, as we would say. We just remove it from the table. And yet in this good journey of ours, this good journey which is God's, what we've been promised is that always at our table is the presence of Christ. The center seat is Jesus' seat. Most certainly at this table, but in a very real sense at all of our tables, our kitchen table, our dining room table, our breakfast room table, the living Jesus sits at table with us. And I suppose one of the things that Jesus does is he wonders about all the chairs around the table. Tell me who's in the chairs, he says, because Jesus loves, right? Everyone who's around the table with us. He's eager to learn about those we love, sister, brother, mother, father, daughter, friend, stranger, son, and yet, and even maybe especially, Jesus wants to know about the empty chair, the one whom we've loved, whom death has taken away. Jesus says, tell me more about this person in this chair. And we, he listens as we speak with tears and empty spaces and grateful love. And, and just as we finish talking about all the chairs, Jesus then says, but, but, what about the missing chair? Is there not supposed to be another chair at this table? Aren't we missing somebody? And sure enough, before we know it, Jesus is rummaging deep into our closet and pulling out that old chair that used to be at our table. And Jesus pulls it close and says, with the same curious love he's had for all the others he's wondered about, with the same gracious healing love, Jesus says, tell me about this empty chair. Who once sat there? Not, of course, to shame us. Jesus isn't here to shame us. He's here to love us. But with every person's presence we decline or who have declined us, there's some wound that is not yet healed inside. And Jesus loves us not to forget the wound that's connected to the chair. And our best attempts to hide the chair leaves open the wound. And the great physician won't let that wound go. He won't let that chair go unnoticed. The psalmist says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Perhaps the most famous prayer of the Bible, a prayer of thanksgiving in full awareness that the enemy is close by. At every table, God knows there's some empty chair. But maybe that's the first move, to bring the chair back into view, even 
empty so that we might remember that new commandment that we are to love not just those who love us, but we are to love those who have done us wrong or whom we have done wrong. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You remember that story about Andrew Carnegie and Henry Clay Frick, two of the most successful industrialists of the 19th and 20th centuries. The two men used to be partners in business, but something happened that their relationship soured. They remained estranged for the latter part of their lives. But when time rolled on and Carnegie grew ill, he penned a note to his old friend, now nemesis, and asked him to meet him for lunch to bury the hatchet. The note was delivered across town and handed to Frick, and Frick read the note and then turned to the messenger and said, I I will meet Mr. Carnegie. I will meet him in hell. Bitter as was his response, Frick understood something about that empty chair, that behind every empty chair, every declined presence is an open wound. And with every open wound, there is a living hell. So Jesus loves us enough to not let us hide that chair. Empty chair number two. Most of us saw the viral video a couple months ago that showed the sentencing trial of Amber Geiger, the Dallas police officer who mistakenly killed what she thought was an intruder in her apartment. After the sentencing, the victim's brother, Brant Jean, spoke to Officer Geiger and to the courtroom and said, I love you and I forgive you and I want the best for you. And then turning to the judge asked if he could now give the now convicted officer a hug. And the judge agreed and the two embraced in tears before the court. The video went viral. Those kinds of things do when a surprise chair is brought back to the table. Sometimes you have to look through the wound and past the wound to see the chair and to fill the chair. You may remember the story of the two brothers who joined the family business of running a hardware store. When their father died, they took shared ownership of the store. The brothers were close, best of friends, trusted each other implicitly until the day when one of them had placed a $10 bill on the cash register while walking a customer to the door. When he returned, he noticed it gone. He asked his brother where he put the $10 bill. Did he put it into the register? No, the brother said, I didn't see it. Well, are you sure you didn't? No, I, I never saw it, but, but it, it was right there on the register. I, I, aren't you sure you didn't do something with it? And with that question came a ring of accusation, and before the two knew it, there was a breach, and into the breach fell suspicion, and with suspicion came anger, and the breach grew, breach grew longer, and wider and all of a sudden new accusations were lobbed back and forth. The fraternal partners stopped speaking to each other. The partnership dissolved. The store split in half with a wall between the two. Two stores formed and a cold war ensued. Twenty years passed until one day a well-dressed stranger pulled up in a car from out of state. He walked into the store and happened upon the brother who had placed the $10 bill on the register. Excuse me, he said, but about 20 years ago, I was in this store, a bad time in my life. I was out of luck, out of money, 
And when nobody was looking, I noticed the $10 bill on the register, and I took it. It's always bothered me, this compulsive act of bad behavior, and while I'm sure it made no difference to you, it did to me, and I'm back to pay my debt with interest. The brother grew pale, began to shake and weep. Would you come with me and tell your story to my brother so I can ask forgiveness and apologize for wasting the last 20 years of our lives? Sometimes the wound keeps us from imagining a different story. Corey Ten Boom, survivor of the Holocaust, whose story is told in the movie The Hiding Place, told of one of the barracks that she and her sister Betsy were assigned to live in the Robinsbrook concentration camp. It was infested with fleas. One morning as they were doing their devotions, they read from 1 Thessalonians that they were to give thanks to God in all circumstances. All circumstances, Betsy remarked that they were even to give thanks for the concentration camp and for the barracks and even for the fleas. Corey said, no, I won't thank you for the fleas. Betsy persuaded her, though, that even the fleas should make the list of thanksgivings. So they thanked God for the fleas every day. They also thanked God that seldom did the guards enter the barracks, which left them free to pray and read and worship. And it wasn't much until later that they learned that the reason the guards stayed away and left them alone to do what they wanted was because of the fleas. <laughs> Thank God for the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances, even for those whose chairs are empty, because sometimes we may not see the whole story. Corey lost her sister Betsy in the camps, but she didn't lose sight of that empty chair, that empty chair too. She didn't lose sight of that empty chair specifically that had been filled by her enemies. And little by little, over years, she brought them back to the table in a story of reconciliation. How do you forgive such inhumane treatment? How do you forgive the murder of your sister? How do you forgive such wounds? Corey Ten Boom wrote later, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the very love itself. The very love itself. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou lovest me enough to ask about the empty chairs, and thou givest me the love to fill again the one I've kept empty. <laughs>